Hi, David. The last week or so has been characterised by volatility in short-term interest rate markets. What's been happening? Yeah, hi, Alex. Uh, I mean, you might recall that actually in our last podcast, we did discuss the you know, we do think that the world is entering a sort of tightening cycle for monetary policy and that, you know, this will start to get priced at the short end of bond curves. But but you're absolutely right. What we've witnessed in the last week or so are pretty explosive moves in short end rates. I mean, as an example, over a period of just three days, the market priced 75 basis points of rate hikes over the next 12 months from the Reserve Bank of Australia. Um, the Canadian curve added, you know, two rate hikes after its latest meeting, where it ended QE sooner than than, than expected, and, and suggested that it could raise interest rates uh, sooner as as well. It, it was interesting. ECB President Lagarde didn't push back on market expectations for an ECB rate hike next year in her press conference last week, and we saw euro rates kind of move higher and natural peripheral spreads go wider. And then this week, she's kind of pushing back and saying um, uh, rate hikes next year are unlikely. And and then, of course, you know, the Bank of England, um, you know, despite the decision uh, not to uh, increase interest rates at its latest meeting, I mean, the market's still expecting uh, a rate hike before the end of this year. And, you know, a month or so ago, um, the market was pricing the first rate hike by the Bank of England wouldn't come until you know the middle of 2022. I, I think one of the interesting things as well, though, has been that the sort of even as the markets by being kind of bringing forward when interest rates are going to be uh, uh, increased and, and and the pace of that, they haven't been you know raising the sort of end point for the cycle, so the terminal. Um, interest rate. And as a result of that, you know, we've also seen yield curves uh, flatten. And and in my view, you know, the credibility of central bank forward guidance that's, you know, previously suppressed volatility in the rates market is weakening. Now, some of the volatility we've seen in short term interest rate markets was exacerbated by collapse in liquidity. There was a lot of leveraged investors who got stopped out of cross-currency carry trades and and yield curve um, steepening uh, positions. Um, It was kind of interesting as well that we didn't see much volatility in currencies and equity. Uh, Credit remained pretty calm um, despite these dramatic moves in short rates. Again, I think in part because longer dated uh, real yields remain uh, negative. They were relatively um, stable. We've had, uh, a, a, you know, relatively positive corporate earnings season. So it's, that's underpinned, I think, equities and, and credit. Although the move higher in rates, the sort of so-called belly of the curve. So sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of three through to sort of six, seven year uh, yields did mean that we saw uh, uh, negative returns in uh, high yield in uh, October. Um, and because it was a kind of global shift in rate, short rate expectations, it actually left sort of FX largely um, directionless. So, you know, while short rate markets may well have overshot, I think due to some of these technical factors, this, this positioning uh, flush, I do think the fundamental driver of higher short-term rate expectations is the market losing confidence in central bank forward guidance which in turn is founded on the transitory inflation narrative. You know, and, and this is a market that 
you know, has become accustomed to central bank asset purchases, forward guidance, pressing volatility. And I, and I do think as central banks reduce their asset purchases and incoming economic data, especially on inflation, starts to dominate forward guidance, I, I do expect to see more um, uh, volatility, not only in rates markets, but, uh, but I think across assets. You mentioned the Bank of England. It didn't raise interest rates at its meeting this week. Was that a surprise? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a surprise. I mean, you can see that in terms of how the uh, market reacted. Um, sterling dropped to a one-month low. We've seen a pretty significant um, repricing of uh, gilts. Uh, the, the yield on the two-year uh, gilt UK government bonds uh, fallen by more than 20 basis points in the immediate um, sort of aftermath of that Bank of England um, decision not to uh, raise interest rates. And that, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a big move. Um, and, it, and it was a surprise because, you know, senior Bank of England officials had set up this meeting as a live uh, meeting for uh, a rate hike, but the actual Monetary Policy Committee voted 72 against. Um, now, they cited a sort of weakening in the UK growth outlook since August uh, due to supply constraints as one of the reasons for keeping rates on hold. But even that said, its own forecast for inflation to fall to target is actually premised on um, higher rates. So, yeah, I mean, after marching the troops up the rate hike hill, uh, the Monetary Policy Committee, you know, has marched them uh, back down again. Um, so I do think there are some communication uh, issues with the Bank of England. But, yeah, I, 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 I think that again, sort of underscores that with more macro uncertainty in terms of inflation, inflation expectations and, and growth, forward guidance is becoming less and less you know, useful. Um, I actually do think the Bank of England will raise the base rate by 15 basis points uh, next month to 0.25%. Um, inflation in the UK is, is, is on the rise as it is elsewhere. Um, you know, you've got the surge in any energy prices as well as other supply issues. But I think also in the UK, you know, supply and demand mismatches in the labour market, some of the other supply shocks that have pushed up inflation, you know, while they're, you know, common across uh, uh, many countries, I do think they've been made more acute by the transition costs associated with um, uh, Brexit. And, and I think the UK is shifting more quickly than other major economies to tighter fiscal policy as well as monetary policy and and I think in part because you know the government the Bank of England are, are actually a bit fearful of a loss of um, policy credibility and post-Brexit I think that is understandable but I don't think it particularly augurs well for UK growth and assets over the near term at least. You've given a roll call of the major central banks but what about the Fed? Yeah so I mean you know the Fed announced um, at its uh, latest meeting that it's going to taper back its asset purchase program uh, beginning later this month. So it's going to reduce its bond of buying by $15 billion each month, though so $10 billion less of treasury securities and $5 billion less each month of mortgage-backed securities. So net asset purchases will therefore end in June of next year, unless there is a material change in the economic outlook. And it was interesting that, you know, the Fed, you know, wanted to keep you know, at least some optionality in terms of the pace of its tapering. Um, I mean, to be frank, even the most casual Fed observer knew that tapering would be announced at this meeting. It was actually the least interesting aspect 
um, of the Fed meeting. But, but I think that is a testament to the success of the Fed's communication on, on tapering. You know, we've not really had even a hint of a um, taper tantrum, even though we've had a bit of a rates um, a tantrum. And, you know, we've, we've seen US equities move to all time highs. Um, interestingly, I mean, Powell, Fed Chair Powell avoided commenting on market pricing, which is four more or less two rate hikes next year, but stressed that the Fed would be patient in assessing progress towards maximum employment. I mean, interestingly, you know, maximum employment does not necessarily mean that the labor force participation rate returns to its pre-pandemic level, which is kind of what was suggested in, in previous meetings. Um, you know, the labor force participation rate is currently a couple of percentage points below its pre-pandemic level, which actually implies that there's some 5 million uh, fewer people in work or, or looking for work in, in the US at the, at the moment. And instead, the Fed's going to judge maximum employment in terms of, you know, a broader range of measures, uh, level of vacancies, uh, obviously the unemployment rate, but also the extent that wages are rising faster than inflation and, and, and productivity. And, and it's also clear that the Fed is expecting strong jobs growth over the coming uh, months. Um, on inflation, it was, again, interesting because he said that, Powell said that inflation would start to fall back to the Fed's 2% target in the second or third quarter of next year. So in that sense, still kind of sticking to the sort of higher inflation is, you know, transitory, reflecting supply bottlenecks, et cetera. Um, but it's interesting how that sort of transitory narrative has shifted through time from one where higher inflation was going to be pretty short lived, only, if, you know, really for only for, you know, a few months to in effect, um, you know, you're going to have to live with sort of high inflation for, for, for a year or more. I mean, my interpretation is that under the Fed's kind of baseline for inflation and jobs, we're going to get at least one rate hike in the second half of next year. I think if inflation proves you know, higher, stickier um, than, than they're expecting, unemployment falls below 4%, 4% which is in line with their own forecast, then I think the, the Fed could actually you know, hike rates, you know, a couple of times next year and, and start not soon after the end of um, tapering. I, I also do think the Fed wants is, is trying to maximise its optionality around lift off in policy rates. And so it's going to respond to the incoming economic data rather than provide sort of fir firm guidance on the future um, rate path. And in that sense, I think the outlook for US rates is more uncertain than um, I think implied by what I think was a relatively sort of sanguine response of US bond and equity markets, because the uncertainty comes not only from the path for inflation and employment, which is uncertain, but also actually the Fed's own reaction function. I mean, we still don't know if Jay Powell will be the Fed chair uh, next year. So, look, I, you know, they, they did a good job on tapering. We didn't get a taper tantrum. Um, but I do expect a few more fireworks in US and global rates markets over the coming months. And finally today, David, you recently issued a note on climate change as a macro investment theme. Do you think that COP26's background noise or something more meaningful? I mean, the, the, the 26th annual conference of parties on climate change, so COP26 in, in Glasgow, is of course still going on, although the summit of world leaders has ended. Um, I mean, actually, I should mention, I mean, Graham Stock, uh, a senior strategist in the Blue Bay Emerging Market Investment Team, is, is actually currently in Glasgow. He's meeting uh, 
um, the Brazilian delegation, uh, along with other investors, to discuss uh, deforestation. So, kind of looking forward to his debrief on on that and the other meetings he's had at um, COP26. Um, I mean, there was a bit of a wake up call just before the start of the conference when the United Nations warned that current national pledges actually put the world on track for global temperature rise of about 2.7 degrees by the end of the century. So that's well above the, the Paris climate goal of, you know, one and a half degrees or, or and as a minimum less than two degrees uh, of global warming. Um, and, you know, the UN said basically current commitments are only going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by around about seven and a half percent by 2030 compared to a 30% reduction required for, you know, a two degree warming um, pathway. So, you know, it was a, a kind of warning about the scale and immediacy of the challenge now facing the world to limit global warming. But we did get some positive developments, I think, at COP26. Um, India is the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases and you know, Prime Minister Modi announced more ambitious targets to reduce uh, emissions um, and for the first time set a net zero target for India of uh, 2070. So that's you know less ambitious and later than many um, other countries, but it is actually, I think, a meaningful sort of step up in India's um, commitment. Um, we didn't see any new announcements, you know, from other major emitters, you know, notably the US and, and China, but there was, you know, leaders did sign up to greater uh, cuts in uh, methane uh, gas emissions. There are actually kind of more dangerous in terms of, you know, the, the amount of the sun's radiant energy they, they trap in the atmosphere, um, even compared to uh, carbon di dioxide. Um, and we also saw at COP26 firmer pledges from rich countries to provide $100 billion a year to developing countries to help them tackle um, climate change. And there was a very big sort of headline uh, numbers associated with a private finance initiative to fund clean energy, sustainable infrastructure, and to commit to you know, net zero uh, across their investments. And as part of that greater transparency and accountability um, to minimize um, greenwashing. So look, I, I mean, it's easy to dismiss these global conferences as you know, blah, 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 but actually since the Paris Climate Accord in 2015, which was COP21, the world has shifted to a meaningfully lower path of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the International Energy Agency says that given what's been announced at COP26 in terms of additional commitments, uh, including in terms of methane, then it is possible global warming could be limited to you know, below two degrees of its pre-industrial um, average. You know, cutting emissions more rapidly is, is going to require some tough and unpopular um, decisions, as well as mobilising huge amounts of finance. So, you know, all told, I think so far, it's, it's been a bit of a mixed bag coming out of Glasgow, but all in, I think it is a positive step, but the pace is going to have to um, pick up. And, and that's why, you know, I do think that climate change and efforts to tackle climate change will be a key macro investment theme over the next decade. Thanks so much for your time today, David. Thanks, Alex.
This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Bluebay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Bluebay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Bluebay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.